Hi, I'm Deb Hunter, and welcome to All Things Tudor, the podcast that blows the dust off the history books and brings the world of the Tudors roaring back to life. Each episode will bring you awesome guests and topics, stories, and revelations. The power, the sex, the scandals, the romance, and the ruthlessness. So join me, and together we'll pull back the curtain and discover the real lives of the Tudors. Hi, welcome to All Things Tudor. I am Deb Hunter, and today my very special guest are Alison Palmer and Kate McCaffrey from Hever Castle. Alison Palmer is a head curator at Hever, and Kate is the assistant curator and historian. So welcome, Alison and Kate. How are you today? Hello. Hello, yes. We're well. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. What's your weather like today? Beautiful. It is. It's really sunny here. And there's actually warmth in the sun for the first time, I think, this year. about 15 degrees. Yeah, we're really enjoying it. Shame we're stuck in the castle. (laughs) 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 Well, your pictures on social media have been gorgeous with the daffodils and everything. And I'm so glad you're here today to talk about Haver Castle. So, first off, I'd like for you to introduce yourselves Yep, so I'm Alison. I am the curator here at Hever. I look after the castle and its contents, and I am very lucky to be supported by Owen Emerson, who is assistant curator, and Kate McCaffrey, who is the other assistant curator here. Yeah, I'm, I'm slightly newer to the role. I only joined properly last year, although I'd worked at Hever for about eight years before that in a different capacity. So Hever is very much second home to me as well. Sounds like it. Well, let's talk about the history of Hever. What can you share with us about this place that became so important in the life of Anne Boleyn? So Hever was built in the 14th century by the Cobham family. That's relatively new researched history that we haven't really released yet. So it's a little bit of a a preview, (laughs) sneak peek into something that we're still working on releasing. But John de Cobham applied for a license to crenellate in 1383 and he built the gatehouse and the outer stonewall bailey that we see today and he also built a little manor within that bailey so it's passed through a couple of hands the fines and the scroops until in 1462 it was purchased by Anne Boleyn's great-grandfather Geoffrey Boleyn he'd already purchased quite a lot of land and a nice big house up in Norfolk or Blickling, but he bought Hever in 1462 along with his brother. He unfortunately passed a year after buying the castle and he went to his son, William Boleyn. We don't think William lived here particularly, though he carried on with his father's building work and he mainly lived up in Blickling. But his son, Thomas Boleyn, made Blickling his home properly in 1505. And obviously, we all know who Thomas Boleyn is, <laughs> the father of... Our Anne. Our Anne, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> well, she is definitely your Anne. No doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, we're very possessive. <laughs> yes, yeah. We do, yeah. You have to be a super fan to work here, I think. You have you to do, be. yes. <laughs> it helps. It does help. 
Well, it's an absolutely gorgeous place, and I recommend anyone that can get there visit Hoover Castle because it lives up to the hype, as they say here, and it's just the perfect way to spend a day or two. It is so gorgeous and so steeped in history, and if you like anything Tudors, you've got to go. So let's talk about Anne. What was her life like at Hoover? So depending on when you take Anne's birth date to be, whether that's 1501 or 1507, I think the two main potential answers that historians give depends on where you would say Anne was born as well. But we go with the fact that she was likely born in Blickling Hall. So that would make her birth date around 1501. And then her and her parents and siblings would have moved to Hever in 1505. We know then that she would have been here likely as in her childhood growing up here before she went to the kind of elite European courts of Margaret of Austria and then later of France. But then when she did return to England, we know that she used Hever as a kind of safe haven, I think, really away from the drama and the intrigue of the English court, especially with all that was going on at the time in the late 1520s. So we think sort of 1526 to 8, she was very much basing herself here at Hever in between the English court. Yeah, she definitely came here in 1528. Yes. Sweating sickness. Yes, she did retire here with a sweating sickness. Or she was banished here, maybe. Well, no. <laughs> Exiled. <laughs> well, a question I get asked all the time, and I'll ask you where you're the experts. You touched on the birth year of Anne, either 1501 or 1507, and everyone wants to know what happened to the years in between and why historians don't believe any of those other years were her birth years. So, I mean, there's a lot of debate about the order in which the Boleyn children were born. There was five of them, and Mary, because of comments that her son said in the reign of Elizabeth, he pretty much says that his mother was the eldest and we know that Boleyn, Elizabeth and Thomas were born, uh, were mm-hmm. married mm-hmm. Um, in the very late 1490s. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think they got their jointure in around 1499. Yes. So that's kind of the earliest date that Mary Boleyn could have been born. But then I'm not quite sure how the other dates were attributed. So then it, it tends to be believed that it's Anne next in 1501. He does say, Thomas Boleyn, later in his life, he does say that his wife gave him a child every year. year. So there are two boys that died very young, Henry and Thomas, and it's believed one of those was born around 1500, and then Anne in 1501, and then it's either the other boy, and then George would be the youngest. So if you look at it like that, George would have been sort of like 1503, 1504. There's a lot of conjecture, isn't there? And it's there ongoing. Conjecture. And I know that, for example, Gareth Russell is... He's a staunch supporter of 1507. Yes, but I believe he's actually moved his... Is he? Moved his date down and is proposing a new date. Oh, he isn't. Yeah, which oh. I think actually would... He's a sausage that Yeah. So, so again, <laughs> so it's kind of changing all the time. And because we don't know for sure, I think it's something unless someone finds a handy dandy note somewhere that yeah, says exactly nice. when she was born. I think it's something that will always be it's yeah, just really uh, frustrating because of you no know, ledgers having dates of people's birth, they weren't really started in churches until fifteen thirty nine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Parish so, records. Yeah, yeah, parish records. So yeah, unless we find some very helpful curate. Being a historian is a lot like being a detective, isn't it? 
Oh, it is. It is. It is. It's my favourite part of doing any kind of historical research is the yes the investigation you find the thread and then that's it you're yeah, kind of spiral. You're, you're off on a little journey trying <laughs> to follow the end <laughs> oh absolutely and with Anne there is no end to it because there's so much we don't know and that's why we're here today so what were the main events of her life that happened at Haver Castle so we had when she first left in 1513 to go mm-hmm. to Margaret of Austria's court. Yep, that, must been, that must have been a big, huge, that's, huge event for yeah. her. It's her first, it was her first, longest trip she would ever take in her life to yes. travel to the court and of Margaret of Austria. And it's such an honour as well. Huge honour to, yeah, from Thomas Boleyn's own work through his diplomatic relations and I think personal friendship probably with Margaret of Austria. Yeah. He secured Anne a place at her court when Anne was only around 12 years old. Um, possibly, obviously, depending on the birth date you go with. But she, yes, she would have left Hever to go there. So that's a huge part of her life that really shaped her life. And then when she returned around 1522, I mean, the first recorded appearance of her back in England is 500 years ago. So in 1522, we know then that she... That must have been... Yeah. And she... Nerve-wracking when she came back. Hugely. obviously she was possibly going to be married. Yes, to the butler. But then we know, yes, around 1526, 27, 28 is a crucial period, obviously, yes. in the kind of story of Anne and Henry and Catherine's relationship. This is January 1526. Yes. It's kind of like the big date. We sort of think that's sort of that's the date when she possibly accepts, accepts Henry. Yeah, she accepts Henry's proposal um, and she's likely here at Hever yes. when she does accept Henry's proposal. So that's obviously a huge, another huge yeah, life event. Right. And then she almost dies in yeah, and then in 1528, that's probably yeah. another memorable With the sweating life, sickness. Yeah, so life and death and marriage all happening here at Hever. Yeah. It's amazing still that we're captivated by her 500 years later. Why do you think that is? Gosh, I think there's so many reasons. I think in a lot of ways, Anne is quite a modern woman. I think a lot of people can relate to her today. You know, I think in a lot of ways she was ahead of her time and quite forward thinking. And I think also the kind of tragic nature of her ending. It's such a horrific story in so many ways, but such a spectacular story, how incredible her rise and then her fall was and how dramatic it was I think that still captures a lot of interest and attention today I think also because she was a commoner you know she managed to I mean she was the second common woman in English history to, to commoner in inverted commas, in, in inverted commas <laughs> yeah. she was minor nobility got Elizabeth Woodville was the first non-royal to marry into the royal family and then you've got Anne but then Anne unfortunately also has that First English queen to be executed. Yes, which, yeah, she uh-huh. set a lot of precedents. Yeah, and first person to be executed in England with a sword as well. So that's another She's one, a lot of official, first. not, not sort of like in the Wars of the Roses where they just sort of dragged someone off and, <laughs> you know, beheaded them. I mean, you know, in an official capacity in the Tower of London. Yeah, she's, she's captivating. She's a lot of firsts. But yeah, she's just fascinating. She really is. And my personal belief is, I don't see how Henry could have missed her. She must have been like a breath of fresh air coming in from the French court and her style. And he styled himself a Renaissance prince. So here was this woman who knew the art of courtly love and had all the skills, so to speak. She just blew his mind, to put it in a modern phrase. What's your thinking on that? 
Yeah, I think she was incredibly captivating when she returned to the English court. I think the time that she'd spent in Europe at some of the finest and most elite courts, most cultured courts in Europe, I think hugely shaped her. And I think she consciously used that and used that Frenchness. I mean, there's a great quote, I think it's Lancelot de Carle, when he says that, Anne, you would have taken her for a French woman. Yeah. Um, and not an English woman born. That's I think says a lot, you know. I think, but I think she she consciously used that sort of exoticism almost to kind of separate herself from the other English women at court, who obviously would have been educated to a certain level um, as exactly. noble women. But she really had that extra kind of oomph, I think, from both her education, but also from her experiences and her lived experiences and the kinds of things and cultures and arts and literature that she was exposed to mm-hmm. and ideas that she was exposed to as well on the continent, I think, hugely shaped her and massively kind of made her stand out. Absolutely. Very good points all around. I appreciate that. If you're a fan of Tudor history, come join us at All Things Tudor a Facebook group dedicated to, well, all things Tudor. Members can contribute a wide array of subject matter about Tudor history. You can also listen to the All Things Tudor podcast. There's a book club and a weekly clubhouse live audio chat, often featuring very special guests. Look for upcoming surprises for the group members in 2022. Become a member of one of the largest groups of Tudor history enthusiasts on the planet. Simply go to the Facebook search bar, type in all things Tudor, select the option to join the group, and of course answer the membership questions. Join us now at All Things Tudor. Look forward to seeing you. So what can you share with us about the new Becoming Anne exhibit? We launched it on the 4th of March, 15, we launched it on the 4th of March, 2022. Goodness, my mind is stuck 500 years ago. Obviously, on the 500th to the day anniversary that Anne made her first recorded appearance at the English court at the Chateau Ver pageant. So it's really celebrating that. So it's all about celebrating Anne's life up until that point, really, because I think we so often focus on the kind of tragic ending to Anne's story. But just as remarkable, if not even more so in some ways, is Anne's rise and her childhood, her education, her family background, the work of her ancestors before her to get her to a place where she was able to have these kinds of incredible opportunities, which she obviously then made the most of. But yeah, we really wanted to both situate Heva into Anne's childhood, but also to celebrate the kind of lesser known parts of her youth and her time spent in Europe as well as here. And we've got some exciting things on display. We have. Yeah, I'd say maybe my favourite is the dress that we have. We have a reconstruction of a portrait dress that we have of Anne Boleyn, which used to be in a hall, and it's now yeah, no, no, it's in... in Anne's bedroom, what's known as Anne's bedroom. Yep. And it's a sketch after Holbein that's been made into a portrait, and it shows Anne actually in the traditional English style of dress, which is obviously quite unusual for us to see Anne in. We sort of associate her with those French styles, that French hood. But this gown has the English gable hood, and we have a full reconstruction of that dress, a recreation of it, which was made by Samantha Rees, who's incredibly talented. And that's a beautiful addition. It is beautiful. Samantha is a friend of mine. So I've seen the dress and I've seen your pictures on social media, too. That was a great kickoff. But I really enjoyed watching everyone, seeing all of our history heroes at the same place. It must have been a heady experience. No pun intended. 
Yeah, the launch. It was. I was just like, you were more sort of like mingling and. Oh, and I mean, chatting everybody up, really. <laughs> I was just I, so I was excited. More trying to make sure everybody went where they were supposed to go. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't you were operational. I make sure they all got their, you know, their cake in their book. <laughs> I was thrilled with it. I met many of my kind of historic idols that night, people who I've followed for a long time and, and was really excited to meet. So I had a wonderful time. But yeah, it was quite intimate. I mean, we had to keep it small, obviously, sort of for yeah. COVID reasons. Hopefully, for next one, we're going to have a big Yeah, year. hopefully, next year we can have a nicer, bigger launch. But it was lovely to, to share that experience that opening with people who are close to Heva and yeah I think it's got some good reviews so far people seem to be happy with it we've had quite a lot of buzz around it which is really lovely to see it is nice to see and the book is fabulous Man arrived Friday and it's absolutely beautiful yay I'm glad it arrived yay I'm so glad you (laughs) think so yeah Owen and I yeah worked that was hard work yeah we worked hard on it well, you have, and it's very obvious, and I encourage anyone to purchase the book. Kate, you want to give a little background to it, please? Yes, of course. Yes, yeah. so it's called Becoming Anne, Connections Culture Court, which is the same name as our exhibition, and I co-wrote it with Dr. Owen Emerson, who's my fellow assistant curator here, and yeah, charts Anne's early life up until 1522 in the, the Chateau pageant. So we examine, even before her life, we look at her male and female ancestry, the kind of influences of her grandparents and her parents on her life, her relationship with her siblings. Then we take her education through to the court of Margaret of Austria and the courts of France and all the kind of huge female inspirations, particularly to her during those years. You have Margaret of Austria, obviously, you've got Marguerite d'Angoulême, Louise of Savoy, Claude of France, who Anne was in service to. And then we end the book with an examination and celebration of the Chateau Ver pageant and Anne's dazzling debut at the English court. Well, it's absolutely fabulous. And I did want to ask you, Kate, you wrote a book last year that made quite a splash. Do you want to talk a little about that for our listeners, please? Yes, I mean, I haven't written a book yet other than this one, but I wrote my dissertation. Yes, I did my master's thesis. I was kindly allowed, thanks to Ali, to be able to hold and work with in person our two beautiful books of hours, which... Yes, because you knew me. Yeah, I don't let many people touch the books. She's very protective over them. Very, very lucky that I knew (laughs) that. And I worked with them both. I ended up focusing on the smaller of the two, the more unassuming of the two, which is the printed book of hours. And that's the sort of famous rhyming couplet that Anne's written inside it, which is remember me when you do pray that hope doth lead from day to day. And I found four new inscriptions within that book that we didn't previously know were there. It was previously thought to just contain Anne's one note, but I found four more, which really helped me to piece together the path that the book took in the years after Anne's ownership. And it's uncovered some really incredible stories, I think, of kind of female kinship and community and solidarity and bravery, really, because it was passed between an extended family, predominantly female hands, after Anne's ownership, who kept it very safe in what was quite a dangerous time to own anything that had Anne's image or name on it in the years after her downfall. And so, yeah, it's been really wonderful to see those kind of female and human stories and voices emerge from the book. 
And another aspect was the connection to Catherine of Aragon, which came from my research, which was realising that the exact same copy of the same printing of this book that we have at Hever actually was once owned by Catherine of Aragon as well. And that's currently in the Morgan Library in New York. So it's a really intriguing connection between two women we often see as rivals, but here they are sharing the same prayer book. That is unusual. How long did it take you to research and write your thesis, Kate? Oh, it was about, I think, yeah, it was only about a year from start to finish through the pandemic, which wasn't yeah. helpful. <laughs> yeah, you asked in late January. I looked, um, oh, I looked, you, asked, you asked in late 2019. Yes, to work and, with the books. And then I said, yes, as long as you did it when we were closed. So I worked with them in January. It's January and then very early February 2020. The pandemic hit. And then we went into lockdown. Yes. So, so you I were very lucky. Just before, yeah. <laughs> very lucky. But the research is still ongoing. It's still leading me down different spirals of, yeah, new inquiries. And I hope to publish this in some form properly at some point with more information. Well, we're definitely looking forward to that. And just knowing you wrote that thesis with such groundbreaking information in a year it is, again, completely remarkable. Thank you. Some good things did come out of the lockdown, didn't they? Yes, exactly. I mean, it wasn't too bad for me after all. <laughs> I just got your email going, hey. I need a photo of this folio. Yes. Please send me a photo of this one. I can't find it. Yeah, and it had to deal with my constant questions of random things about the books. I think we're sick of my messages. Well, is there anything you can tell us about upcoming events or exhibits? This exhibition will be running until November of this year, so it is on the whole year becoming Anne pretty much the whole year. But it's the first in a series of exhibitions that will be coming at Hiva over the next however many years, oh, yeah. five or so years. years yeah. And each will be examining a different part of her life or her character or things relating to her here at Hiva. We're planning one for next year, which hopefully will be very exciting and will be drawing on some of my research with the books of ours. Well, we definitely look forward to that. And the one this year... Did you say already how long it would run, or can you tell us? Yes, so it's running until... It's until 9th of November. 9th of November. And then we've got to take it out and put Christmas in. Yes, then Christmas comes and takes over. Otherwise, the head of retail will never forgive, <laughs> forgive me for not... Decorating <laughs> not, the trees. Not letting you put trees in the castle. <laughs> but we'll have to try to make it over there before November the 9th then. Exactly, yeah. But that's why we did the book, the so book that is, in people that couldn't visit can hopefully still they, enjoy. They can still enjoy it. It's the more portable version. It's the portable <laughs> version, yeah. <laughs> true, and it's not as expensive as a round trip ticket, is it? Really <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> well, where can our listeners find you online? It's Heath Castle's website mm-hmm. in the online shop. It's available to purchase online. Yeah, the book is oh, available yeah. in the Heaver shop and online. And at the Castle Entrance. And at the Castle Entrance. So, yeah, so obviously you can purchase it online if you can't come here or you can buy it in the shop itself or in the castle. You never know, you might come in when Owen's supervising or when Kate's supervising. I've signed a few copies. It, I know, I've you signed a few copies. Yeah, copies. Which um, is fun. Yeah, every so often there's a call out for Kate to come and <laughs> meet her fans, <laughs> which is amazing. I love it. I think it's amazing. <laughs> Ali likes that we get embarrassed. <laughs>
But in terms of our socials, I'm on Twitter at Kate E. McCaffrey and I have a website, kateemccaffrey.wordpress.com where I'm put probably less regularly than I should, but I'm planning to increase it. Yeah, more information about my research here. Well, thank you very much for your time today and you are invited back at any time. So just let me know and I look forward to seeing you online and hopefully in person. You never know. So thank you very much. Yes, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You've been listening to All Things Tudor. My thanks go to listeners, my husband, and my team. If you like what you hear, leave a review, follow wherever you get your podcast, and share with your friends to help others find the show. Join the All Things Tudor Facebook community to connect with tens of thousands of Tudor history lovers. You can also connect with me across social media at the Deb ATL. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch y'all later.